Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 329 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron, and I'm so pleased that you are here with me today on this mini episode that I am honored and privileged to bring to you via my patrons at the $5 and up level over at patreon.com slash Rachel, where I offer a bunch of other cool things for writers. You might enjoy it. So let's jump into these questions because I really love answering questions and I do a lot of it while I'm teaching my classes, 90 days to done and 90 day revision. And I'm in the three months right now where I'm not teaching anything. So I've got all this question answering energy and I've got three questions lining up here. So let's jump right into them. Thank you for sending them. Okay. The first one comes from Emma Jane. Hello, Emma Jane. Uh, She says, do you have any advice on how to organize dual point of view? I'm really struggling with it, particularly the start. I feel like once the story gets going, I can fit things into a story structure pretty well, but I can't decide if I should start with a few of one point of view. So the reader gets to know her before introducing the other, or if I should be alternating from the beginning. I have the added worry of how best to achieve this for the three-chapter or similar submission for querying agents. So it's a fantastic question. I love a dual point of view. I love a triple point of view. I love all of those kind of things. And it is always a question of how to organize it. There is, of course, no right or wrong answer here. However, I would ask you to pick the most important point of view character and definitely start with her. You are, there is an exception to this. If you are, you know, starting with a prologue, starting in the past, and then you're going to jump forward to a person who is more important, but in the present, um, totally acceptable. You get to do what you want, but there is this implied promise that the reader makes that the writer makes to a reader when they open a book and they start reading these words and they're investing their time and their energy and their thoughts. It's hard to get into a new book, right? We all know that. Takes a minute to figure out where we are, where we're standing, who we're with. Once we've figured that out, we automatically imprint onto that point of view like a duck hatching out of an egg. The first thing you see, that's mama. So this new point of view is mama. We want to stick with that point of view for as long as you, the writer, want to take us through. But the reader will believe subconsciously somewhere in the back of their mind, they're not conscious of this. They will believe this is the most important character in the book. So therefore, when I open a book, I like to give them what I feel is the most important character. This can also be used as a tool to trick, not not meanly, but, uh, but kindly. This could be a kind trick to play on a reader if you want to pull the rug out from under them at some point. Uh, but most of us aren't playing those shenanigans. So pick the pick the character who to you is the most important, the biggest character and start with that character. And then your question is, can I throw that other point of view into the next chapter? Do I have to do, you know, one chapter, one, one chapter, another? Absolutely not. You can um, put in the next point of view character whenever you want. I think, and all of these rules are made to be broken, but my particular, um, desire in a book when I'm reading a book is to know I might have a new point of view character coming by like maybe a quarter of the book. If you throw me a brand new point of view character after the halfway point, I might be a little bit annoyed. It's okay to annoy the reader sometimes. 
but I will be very surprised. So um, if you give me a chapter or two chapters or even three chapters and then throw another point of view at me, it's still early enough in the book that I can catch that and go, Ooh, Oh, that's interesting. Didn't expect that, but okay, let's go. Let's run with this. And, or you can do the one-on-one off. You can, you can go toggle back and forth. There is no right or wrong here at all. And I, and I know this is going to be hard, but I'm going to encourage you not to worry about the whole querying agents thing. The agent who requests a partial of a manuscript is interested in seeing the level of the writing, the quality of the writing, and whether they are pulled into the story. If you send them a story and it's in one point of view, which is absolutely fascinating. And then because in your book, the second party's point of view comes in and it's not that fascinating and you worry about losing the agent. We're not worried about losing the agent at this point. Now we're worried about losing the reader. Your book is going to be so fascinating at that point when you send it to the agent that they're not going to care if a new point of view walks in because they're going to be interested in that too, because you have made your book, you have revised and revised and brought your book up to that level where anything that you give the agent is going to be as spectacular as you can make it. I always get this question from people um, saying, you know, for a contest or for an agent, can I can I go ahead and send them my favorite chapter, the most the most exciting chapter? You know, it's not for three or four chapters, or it's the midpoint. Um, no, you have to, unless your contest that you're entering specifies you can enter a chapter from anywhere in the book. But the point is, you want to send that person the very beginning of your book, and it has to be as good as possible as good as you can make it. And then the fifth chapter has to be as good as you can make it. And the 17th chapter has to be as good as you can make it. And so um, that's me comforting you in saying that if you send two big chapters of the main character's point of view, and then the third chapter that the, because this particular agent wants three chapters say, and the third chapter is a different point of view, it's fine. It's going to be great because you already wrote it well. And now the agent is going to be like, oh, that's interesting. And if she gets one point of view, a second point of view, and then back to the first point of view for those three chapters, also fabulous. You can't do it wrong. No one is going to look at any submission and say, well, that's pretty weird that she did two chapters and then threw in another point of view. No, you get to do whatever you want. Um, So fantastic question. Be confident, be bold. I love that you are having fun with it too. Um, Yes. And uh, as Emma Jane said earlier in this little email, she's really coming alive now. Yay. Yay. I love that. Okay. Uh, This one is from Katrina. Katrina says, hello, Rachel. I have a mini coaching question. What are your tips for hiring a developmental editor to make sure it's the right fit? I know about searching on platforms like Readsy, and I already have my eye on a couple of people I'd like to contact about editing my memoir. So close now. Yay. But when I do, what is the best practice for initial contact? Is it reasonable to ask for a sample edit or an outline review? Are editors usually willing to get on a video call? What are the pitfalls to look out for? Thank you. Okay, so Katrina is a friend of mine, and Katrina is also a (laughs) fabulous copy editor, Um, and Katrina knows this business. And also, Katrina is asking these questions. And I love that you asked these questions, Katrina, because they are perennial. They are a constant worry. Um, You are trusting your beloved book into the hands of somebody that you hope will help make it the best it can be. And of course it is nervous. It's, it's, it's normal to be nervous about making such a huge choice. So 
Yes, I love readsy.com or you can do rachelheron.com slash readsy for an affiliate link, R-E-E-D-S-Y, for searching out freelance editors. It's a, it's a service that offers you the ability to reach out and contact freelance editors, all of them vetted, most of them from traditional New York publishing. They really know what they're doing. Here's the thing about readsy. Don't tell anybody I told you this, but they only put the editor's first name and last initial on Reedsy. But we have Google, y'all. And if I'm going to make up a name here, I have not looked at Reedsy in a while. But if um, Maria S. says she worked for HarperCollins, go Google Maria HarperCollins editor. See if you can find out what books she has worked on, um, what she was acquiring when she was at HarperCollins, because most of the people... I'm, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess and say most of the editors on Reedsy have now gone freelance and they are not with traditional publishers because traditional publishing editors would just not have time to do this kind of freelance work. Um, go see what she has edited. Go if you're really really interested in one, buy a book, read it. Do you like the editing that happened? Flip to the back and look at the acknowledgments. Does the editor does the writer say thanks to my editor Maria S. or do they say Maria S., you saved my life over and over again. You are the reason this book is the as strong as it is. I loved working with you. Woo, that's a really good push for Maria S. So use some Google, use some digging around. And yes, best practice, I do believe you should ask for sample edits from three or four editors that you are interested in usually. And it's they're all freelance and they all work at different rates. You know, they're setting their own rates, they're setting their own rules. So they may have a rule that they're only going to look at two pages or only going to look at three pages, but ask for a sample of whatever they will give you. And if you get the sample edit back, wait, let me back up. First of all, let's address the elephant in the room that you are hiring a developmental editor who cannot give you a sample developmental edit because they are only going to be looking at two or three pages. A developmental editor looks at your entire book and then says, here are the places it doesn't work. Here are the places it's not deep enough. Here are the things that need to be rearranged. Do you need this storyline? Do you need this plot line? Do you need this character? Um, but if they're only looking at two or three pages, the best they are going to be able to do is some light copy editing. And also they're doing it for free, hoping you hire them. So they're not going to be spending that much time on it. But you can get a really good sense for an editor in just those two or three pages. Are they harsh? Are they super encouraging? Are they overly encouraging in a way that makes your skin crawl? Um, are they harsh in a way that makes you want to cry? Are they exactly right for you? Does their editing voice match what you want to see on your pages. Do you understand what they're saying? Because sometimes people just aren't a good, <laughs> I'm laughing, aren't a good fit because I'm thinking about that editor who I hired to work on my memoir earlier this year. We were not a good fit. She did not understand my voice. I did not understand hers a lot of the time. And I hired her based on the recommendation of a friend and I should have gotten a sample edit and I didn't. And I learned a ton happy about the edit, did the work. Was my soul crushed for a while? Did you hear it on the air? Yes. Yes, you did. Yeah. Um, I would not do that again. All the other editors in my life have been incredible. I, I would like to say, as was she, I'm going to stop talking about that editor. But yes, get the sample edit. Make sure you speak the same language. Um, what you asked about, Katrina, about the, are they willing to do an outline review? Normally... 
Normally not. Um, however, that's going to depend on who you reach out to. People can't, you can ask for um, what is everything is called different things for everyone. And I know that's confusing, but um, often it's called an editorial assessment of your outline and you could hire that. You could find somebody to hire on Readsy to give you an editorial assessment, just looking at your outline, not at your book. And some people choose to go that way to see if their book is structured well um, while they're writing it or after they've written it. So, um, they, and that is a lot of thinking heavy lifting. So probably not, although your mileage may vary on that. And uh, regarding editors being willing to get on a video call, if you, here's what I would say to that. Not all editors will be uh, willing to do this because it is time out of their busy day. You can ask to pay them to have a video call with you if you would like to, or if you are at that last stage, like you've gone through the four or five editors that you really love, you would l- you've gotten a, a quote from Maria S. You loved her sample edit, and you say, "I'd love to have a really quick five to ten minute chat with you," um, and then I want to move forward with this. Absolutely, feel free to do that um, to make sure that you speak the same heart language while you're face to face. But I wouldn't do that for four or five editors. People just don't have the time for that. Uh, of course, some editors may be will editors may be willing to do that. So, um, and then what are the pitfalls to look out for that you ask? Uh, somebody who is too short, somebody who is who feels comfortable being rude in email or on your pages. Um, hard no, hard absolutely not. Somebody who does not respond to your emails <laughs> in a timely manner. Again, g- giggling because I cannot respond to a damn email in a timely manner. Uh, but I'm also not trying to get clients, writers as clients, as an editor. They should be responding to you within a couple of days, within, I would say, three or four days. If you hear from them 10 days later with, with no explanation, that's, that's not that professional. And that is the way that they're going to act when they are working with you. Keeping in mind, of course, you haven't paid them anything, so they don't owe you anything yet. Uh, but yeah, use your, use your gut. Use your intuition on those kind of things. Um, my intuition has always led me correctly on editors, except for that one time when I did not use my intuition at all. I didn't ask it any questions. Uh, So it's so exciting, Katrina. Keep me posted. And um, I can't wait to read your book. Okay. And this last question is from Max, and it came in in an excellent timing for me, and I will tell you about that in a minute. Um, But the question is very simple. If I end up getting a traditional publishing deal, parentheses, I know, I know, but a guy can dream, what kind of marketing will they expect me to do? So Max is asking, if he gets a traditional publishing deal, what kind of marketing does a traditional publisher expect you to do in today's times? Okay, so I'm going to back up a little bit and just talk for a second about what a traditional publisher will do for you if you are offered a deal with a traditional publisher, usually almost always through an agent. Um, What they do in terms of marketing and promotion publicity is they will, one of the most important things they do is they send your book out to trade reviewers. So um, Library Journal, uh, Kirkus. Oh, why am I going blank on all of them? Publishers Marketplace. Those reviews will then affect buyers in independent bookstores. 
And nowadays, uh, Barnes and Noble, now that their buyers are able to buy what they want and place what they want on the tables in their store where they want them to go. So those trade reviews are really, really important for sales and for um, discoverability in terms of physical bookstores. So your marketing team, actually, I think it's your, it's your publicity team would send out your review copies, the ARCs, advanced reader copies to those trade review sites in order to get you those reviews. You cannot, uh, you can buy a Kirkus review, but you can't buy any of the others, I think. Might be wrong, but um, most of them have to be submitted by a traditional publisher. So they do that. They also get your book in front of bookstagrammers, uh, bookstagrammers with big accounts, influencers. They also nowadays are getting you in front of book talkers if they can get access to those book talkers, uh, the, in, the influencers in, this, in that sphere. Um, there might be possibly some ad spend depending on how much they paid for you. If they paid, if they paid you a million dollars for your book, they're going to be putting some money into advertising, probably Facebook and Amazon advertising. If they paid 20,000, 30,000, 50,000, they might put a very little amount into ad spend, but here's the truth. Um, traditional publishers don't know how to make ads sell books any better than anyone else does. They would love to know if they did, all their books would be bestsellers and they would do that via ads and they don't. So generally each book gets a set amount of money for the ad spend. They will not tell you how much they're spending. They will tell you if they are doing it. And that is what traditional publishers do for you. So in terms of marketing, what, the, what falls to you then if you are a traditional, traditionally published author is um, you should have a newsletter. You should have a way of catching readers. So if they read your book, love your book, Google you, they will find your webpage and sign up for your newsletter. And it does happen organically. People really do this. They really go to authors they like and they sign up for the newsletter so they won't miss the next book. So please, at the very bare minimum, have a website where you can collect email addresses for a newsletter so you can let them know about the next book. It used to be that traditional publishers expected you to use Facebook. I mean, that was the one thing you could not get out of, and believe me, I tried. But nowadays, as Facebook is starting to circle the drain in many different ways, um, they're not going to push it as hard. You, If you hate Facebook with every fiber of your being, you could push back and say, please, I am not going to do that. If you can stand Facebook at all, please have a Facebook account. Please also on that Facebook page, have your newsletter right there for people to sign up. Have the link right there. You will. You can look at my Facebook, and you can see that is really the only thing I have there. So, if you can have, a, if you can stand having a Facebook, that's great. They want you to do that. What they also want you to do is to be engaging in social media of some sort. But please do the one that you love best, or do the four that you love best. If you love all the social media platforms, then do all the social media platforms. If you only love TikTok, then tell your marketing team, I really cannot go on Facebook, but I love TikTok. And here are the things I would love to work with you on. And then if you do a TikTok, they can duet it or stitch it and push it out to more people. They would love to work with you on anything that you can handle doing in the social media world. So um, you could also... If you are traditionally published, you could also do ad spend, but I honestly think that's a bad idea. 
because you will not be able to tell if it is helping and you are making so much less on it. If you are only making, you know, a dollar on a $15 uh, paperback, would you want to spend a dollar 25 in order to get that click that made the sale? Probably not. You could, of course, spend your the rest of your life chasing after marketing and never write another book. And that is what we don't want to do. We want to continue. Once your book is in the hands of your publisher, let it go. Do as much social media as you can possibly handle. Um, and what you can't do, don't worry about it. Don't stress about it. And keep writing. Keep working on the next book. The reason I said, thank you, Max, uh, very much for asking this. Uh, the reason I said I came in right on time, I am going to be talking about all of this stuff, including how marketing is different as a self-published author versus as a traditionally published author in my upcoming webinar, how to choose between self and traditional publishing. What is right for you? It is $99, which is a deal. I have taught this both at Stanford and at Berkeley uh, for usually five to $700. And I have distilled that four-hour class down into one hour. And I'm just going to be talking all about it. Plus there will be time for questions. It is happening next week. Um, if you listen to this podcast on time, uh, there's no on time. If you listen to it soon, I should say it is happening on November 17th at 11 a.m. Pacific time, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Again, November 17th, 2022, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And uh, the replay will be sent to you if you can't attend live. So if this kind of chatter about publishing traditional traditional versus self or indie is interesting to you at all, go grab your spot in the class. It's a live class. You can get it at rachelheron.com slash publish, rachelheron.com slash publish. So thank you all for being here. Thank you for listening to the questions. I love answering questions. And if you want to send me some through the Patreon, I would love that too. Thank you for being here. I hope that you are getting some of your own writing done and please tell me about it. I love to hear about it. I really am at all of the social media places except for Facebook. If you you can send me something there, I exist there, but I will never see it probably. So feel free to send me something on um, Instagram or TikTok. And uh, what's, what's that other one? Oh, Twitter. Yeah, Twitter. Not really there anymore, right? No, either. Although all of the um, Elon Musk stuff is pretty funny, I think. I did not know that my hair was sticking up this badly on the video. So um, if you have been watching on YouTube, hope you've been enjoying that uh, <laughs> the wild hair. And um, speaking of wild hairs, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're writing. Keep writing. And um, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends. Mm -hmm.